Okay, let's get into The Mandalorian Season 3. So, we've had our episode 1 yesterday, and it was a really good note to start off the third season, too. I, I think we have a lot of potential. I think we have a kind of a clear path as to how the season is going to go. Uh, again, it's only an eight-episode season, like the first and second one were. So we we have a very limited amount of time, and very frustratingly so, because these episodes are also about 30 to 40 minutes. So it's we're, we're not getting very much. Now, as a season, as a whole, we're, we're getting at least two movies worth, but it's a show, right? I, I mean, even a, even a one-season anime will give you 24 episodes, right? Uh, and I get it, it's a, it's a multi-million dollar show per season, but seeing as they're backed by Disney and Disney's got more money than anything, I, I don't see that as an excuse, really. So let's look at the trailers first. So the trailers did do their job very well in hyping up this new season. We know that uh, there's going to be a lot of fun adventures with Din Djarin and Grogu. Uh, they're going to go back to Mandalore. They're going to uh, be going back to Navarro, maybe even Coruscant. Uh, there's going to be a lot more Mandalorian warrior dropship action uh, we do get to go to Coruscant with Dr. Pershing according to the trailers uh, maybe he's going to be a character witness against Moff Gideon uh, maybe he's now employed by the New Republic we don't know right uh, we get to go back to Tatooine to visit the crazy haired mechanic lady uh, maybe we get to see Boba Fett and Fennec Shand we, we see Grogu throw a scary alien guy out of a cave. And, of course, there are fireworks and jubilation for some reason. Now, we, I did think the fireworks bit was kind of funny, because there's fireworks in Star Wars. Uh, we saw fireworks at the end of Return of the Jedi, when the Empire's beaten and the Emperor's killed. And in retrospect, it is funny to me, because... What, what does that mean? That there, that there's firework stands just littered throughout the galaxy? Are, are there black cat warehouses like like we have? Do, do they have seasonal fireworks like we do? Are there burn bands and in different seasons that they have to contend with? Or are Star Wars fireworks just a lot more sophisticated and weatherproof? We don't know. Maybe. They're like Disney fireworks, where they just load thousands of them per night. And and they they're like, hey, you know, we, we want the sprinklers on today. Let's let's pop those fireworks. Um, we also see in the trailers some Anzellans, uh, the race that Babu Frick belongs to. Uh, he's he's the little funny little mechanic guy in the Rise of Skywalker. Which 
I, I think is a very smart marketing decision because it's probably one of the only things people actually enjoyed about that movie uh, was Babu Frick and his little comic relief bit. So while we can expect the episodes to be kind of short, sadly enough, um, I think the trailers did a great job in telling us, hey guys, we're going to have a lot of fun this season. Because we know it's going to be relatively short. Um, it reminds me of being a kid and waiting for a run of a specific comic book character or a subsequent book and a series to be released. It, we, it would usually take a good handful of months to a year for things like that to come out. And in a world where entertainment is heavily mainlined and we get things really very quickly market has become so saturated with a lot of great stuff, truth be told, but I, I think it can get too much. I, I, I think having so much space in between releases allows us to absorb and digest things like The Mandalorian, like Andor, uh, or some other great and awesome content. Um, I, I think the, those spaces in between allow us to want them. Like, actually look forward and, and get antsy and, uh, you know, oh, hey, we're, we're getting a new season tonight. Better run to the store, grab some popcorn, grab some margaritas. Let's go. Like, it's it becomes special once we have that anticipation, once, once we are made to wait for so long, right? Otherwise, we get what happened to the Solo movie, which wasn't bad, uh, and it, it kind of got lumped in with terrible content like The Last Jedi. I, I think if Disney Star Wars waited a few more months instead of just, what, like five or six months later to release it, people wouldn't have been so burnt on Star Wars, uh, Star Wars content because of The Last Jedi, and they would have actually enjoyed Solo a lot more. Because it was a pretty fun movie. I mean, there's Woody Harrelson, there's a heist, we get to see Chewie and Han meet up. Uh, we, we do have some admittedly funny moments. Um, we get to see Darth Maul at the, at the very end of it. Like, it's a it's a fun movie. It, it's got a lot of good stuff going for it. It just unfortunately got lumped in with The Last Jedi, and it, it's, it's truly a shame. So, we had episode one, right? Now, again, being only eight episodes per season, the first episode really has to set the tone and give us an overall of what the narrative is going to be. It, episode one for shows like this kind of have to be the thesis episode that the remaining episodes will have to follow. And if I had to guess, I would put forth three parts of this episode that highlight the, the major story points of the season. And if, if you want to see a show where this doesn't work at all, look at the Book of Boba Fett. It, its first episode gave us its 
quote-unquote thesis episode, but then it just derailed in the middle of it with two Mandalorian Season 2.2 episodes. And it really shouldn't have done that. And it kind of helped kill the show. The, the, the show was ragged on for a, a good long while. And it was not great, unfortunately. So, episode one gave us this really neat opening where we see the armorer and Paz Vizla. Uh, they've, they've recruited a few squads worth of new Children of the Watch recruits. Um, they, they all have kind of sparse armorings of varying colors. They're all kind of mismatched and kind of patchwork together this really gives a feeling of, of them having to scrounge around to start anew uh, as the armor and Vizsla clearly do not have the resources and means to fully arm and armor a whole new clan of Mandalorians so they're clearly making do with what they have and there's, there's this whole ceremony where they're utilizing some baptismal symbolism uh, with this foundling teenage boy standing at the shores of a riverbed there's drums and flags and all of this is to dedicate this young man's life to the order of the children of the watch and when the ceremony ends this giant crocosaurus straight from the sci-fi channel leaps out of the water and starts trying to eat everybody now Weirdly enough, the Mandalorians are kind of helpless against this beast. Uh, their blasters, grappling cables, and explosives all have hardly any effect. And it was at that point that I was kind of like, oh, okay, of course. Din Djarin is going to come flying in on his hot rod, and he's going to save the day. Which he does. And, of course... Instead of praising Din Djarin for his actions, the armorer is still all like, Oh, you're, you're still an apostate. You're banished. You're not one of us. Which is pretty frustrating, but it does highlight just how dedicated to their ways that this cult of Mandalorians are. Um, now, Din reaffirms his stance on going to Mandalore in order to bathe in the healing waters of... Lake Minnetonka, as Prince would put it. Uh, but he's going to go below the mines of Mandalore to bathe in their living waters, um, below the Beskar mines, so he can be absolved of his sin and be able to rejoin his brethren. Uh, again, with the whole sort of Christian mythos, baptismal... Um, cleansing of the soul kind of symbolism which I'm not averse to I mean George Lucas used a whole bunch of Christian symbolism um, he, he used a whole bunch of mythos symbolism in general so I, I think it's not unwarranted I, I think it has a proper place in Star Wars and it's actually does go along with uh, adding some depth and, and some weight to the characters and what they have to achieve and why they have to achieve it, right? 
Now, the second big part of this episode is when Din visits Navarro and his old friend, Grief Karga. So he he goes to Navarro and he's trying to get uh, the IG-11 droid back from the first season that blew himself up in order for Din and Grogu and Grief to escape the stormtroopers. Now, while he attempts to put IG-11 back together, the assassin droid uh, reverts to its old programming and tries to kill Grogu instead of um, going to the the programming that that uh, Quill had put in the droid in order to be like this nanny protective droid for the baby Yoda, right? And um, after Cargus's service droid crushes IG-11 with a with a bust of him, Din takes the remaining uh, bits and pieces of IG-11 to a droidsmith shop run by some Anzellans. And we get this kind of comical um, Muppets style shop for these for these little Anzellans. Um, and they they tell him that um, they can fix him. They can fix IG-11, but they need a specific part. So they they give Din Djarin the side quest to go on. And uh, I, I know I'm kind of aggravated that in such a short season for this really short show, he has to be placated with these side quests. I don't know why he needs IG-11 specifically. I mean, Grief could probably pair him up with a couple of pretty reliable gunslingers or something. I mean, Navarro has gotten to be a pretty big and prosperous uh, system, so uh, why he specifically needs IG-11, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, side quest, here we go. Now, we also see that Grief has a bit of a pirate problem, as there is this pirate gang, uh, complete with a squadron of fighters, a small capital ship, uh, and a swamp thing-looking captain, hanging out in some asteroids near the planet. So, I, I think maybe Din will be leading a group of Mandalorians to Navarro to help grief rid his system of pirates seeing how there's no replacement enforcers left for whatever reason uh, after Disney fired Gina Carano and there's no Cara Dune to patrol the system I, I do like that Din and Grogu have this kind of home base system to fall back to uh, especially seeing as their own Mandalorian people kind of don't want them now because Din removed his helmet. So it's not necessarily like they're completely without a haven or they they don't have allies. But I, I think maybe Navarro becomes a sort of protectorate for the Mandalorians uh, because if their homeworld does turn out to be inhabitable, 
and inhospitable to, to living beings. And, you know, the Mandalorians aren't able to salvage it at all. Maybe they go to Navarro, save it from the pirate swamp creature captain. And in his uh, kind of thankfulness to Din and his people, he says, hey, why don't I give you guys, you know, a job in like houses and things and you can protect this planet and this planet can become your new homeworld. Why not? I, I think there, even if Din doesn't go along with it, I think there would be a good amount of Mandalorians who would. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a pretty satisfying thing to see the Mandalorians retake their homeworld. But seeing a, a couple of them kind of band together to fight for and claim a new homeworld for themselves where... You know, the people of the planet do end up welcome, welcoming them and working with them. I think that would be a nice chapter in the saga of the Mandalorian peoples. Though, <laughs> I do doubt that we would get anything nice and rosy like that. Uh, especially considering the kind of people Mandalorians are, right? They're, they're very rigid and warrior-based... They, they have this warlike culture. So things hardly ever go smoothly for people who embody all of those traits. This episode is brought to you by RT Book Reviews. RT Book Reviews is one of the world's most popular independent book sites. From bestsellers to hidden gems, they're here to help you discover your new favorite books and authors. And I go through at least two to three books per week and do not have time to spend trying to find the next best standalone or series. But after using RT Book Reviews, I was able to find dozens of books from every genre to keep me occupied for my foreseeable future. After all, RT Book Reviews' mission is to help you find your new favorite books and authors, like they most certainly helped me. So head on over to www.rtbookreviews.com today. Now, the third big part of the episode that I think will help shape the season is Din Djarin's meeting with Bo-Katan at her empty castle. And she's still pretty pissed off that he left her without the Darksaber at the end of season two because now all of her followers and their small burgeoning fleet have all abandoned her uh, to be mercenaries and bounty hunters scattered throughout the galaxy. They, they see her as unfit to lead for not defeating Moff Gideon herself and claiming the legendary Darksaber sword, which they consider to be a symbol deciding who gets to lead them. And I actually really like this bit of lore in Star Wars as it mirrors Star Wars Legends Mandalorians uh, being willing to follow whoever defeats the ruling Mandalore and dons his helmet. Now it's it's also kind of reminiscent of the Arkenstone from the Lord of the Rings lore where the whole dwarven race promises to follow whoever holds the Arkenstone and, and claims their right as king. So we have Bo-Katan spitefully telling Din Djarin that 
Since he has the Darksaber, he should wave it around and lead their people and retake their homeworld. He doesn't want to do that, though. He, he just wants to take a magic bath and help rebuild the, chi the Children of the Watch in secret. Now, this is another bit of character building that I enjoy seeing, um, which is that of the reluctant king who is forced to lead. Because we do see a dropship with Mandalorian wars, warriors flying out of it, and they're wrecking shop somewhere. We, we don't know if that's on Mandalore or Navarro or somewhere else. So it stands to reason that Din rallies them to some sort of cause later on in the season. Again, making another connection to Lord of the Rings, where Aragorn is supposed to be King of Gondor, and he's supposed to be the person to unite and lead his people, but he would rather lead a simpler life. He would much rather be a, a ranger up in the northern lands and pal around with his elven buddies. Uh, so I, I think the similarities uh, are pretty evident between Aragorn and Din Djarin. So, without Bo-Katan's campaign to retake their homeworld, Din kind of has no choice but to go it alone instead, um, and not with the protection and resources of a Mandalorian army. And I think he will probably discover things along the way in his journey to the planet that make him realize that Mandalore can be reclaimed, or Maybe the Empire is there in secret somehow, and they're they're gutting the interior of the planet. They're looking, they're picking it clean, trying to look for all the Beskar they they can get their hands on. And Din sees this, and he goes back to rally all his people and his allies. And he's like, "Hey, we can save our world, but we gotta go." So, yeah, I I think that if it happens, would be a double-edged sword because I think that call would also be heard by or get leaked to the New Republic, the Empire, uh, all sorts of pirates and raiders and the rest of the galaxy's scum and villainy. And that might lead into the next season's arc, the season four of uh, The Mandalorian, and it would become the fight for the planet Mandalore. Now... Any predictions that we might have for this season based off of previous seasons? They follow a typical arc structure. And we have a good deal of mirroring and rhyming, uh, the way George Lucas did with his storytelling. Um, John Favreau and Dave Filoni do a very good job of that. Now, mind you, Lucas was a marvelous storyteller. And that's where his potential kind of really peaks. And he has admitted himself in interviews that he's not really an actor's director. He's a storyteller first, which makes Favreau and Filoni's involvement all the more potent and vital for shows like The Mandalorian to be a success. Because they, they have 
become proven directors, right? They, they've managed a decent enough range of projects that anything that they're a part of is almost assuredly going to be enjoyable at the very least. But as far as predictions go, I think overall we're going to get the next big step in Din Djarin's evolution as a father figure, a Mandalorian, and now a leader is going to be the next big step in where his story leads. Albeit, he might be a reluctant leader, but I think that's what's going to make him great at it. He doesn't want the power. He doesn't want the position. Um, just like how he didn't necessarily want to be a father figure to Grogu. Or how he never wanted to be the wielder of the Darksaber. And now he wrestles with what being a Mandalorian means to him versus the people he feels he belongs with. It It is uh, also interesting to note that in Legends, uh, the, the old expanded universe, we have another reluctant king figure, uh, a man who would rather keep on the track of being a bounty hunter and later uh, a resistance fighter, Boba Fett. He was called to be Mandalore to lead his people, which he did with some chagrin and convincing from his uh, family and his allies in order to fight against Jason Solo and his Galactic Alliance in the Legacy of the Force books written by Troy Denning, Aaron Alston, and Karen Travis. Now, I think it's safe to say that in this Star Wars series, we want to see just that. A war. It's an underlying, understated point that we haven't had an actual war in hardly any of the Disney Star Wars content. Sure, we've had plenty of conflicts and fights and skirmishes, but a war? No, hardly any at all. So with a cadre of some of the coolest type of characters that we have in all of Star Wars, the Mandalorians, that would be a great war to have against some of the remnants of the Empire, or pirates, or, or the Huts, whoever. It would be so much fun, and arguably some of the greatest Star Wars content of all time. I'm, which we could get, seeing as we have characters like Grand Admiral Thrawn being confirmed as being out there somewhere. There's, you know, like I said, also a bunch of Imperial remnants and warlords and cartels. They're all vying for power in a galaxy that arguably has this enormous power vacuum, even five years after Endor and the death of the Emperor and Vader. And another thing I think people really want to see is the use of the world between worlds seen in Rebels. Particularly by a character like Ahsoka. And they, why they want to see that is they, they want to see her kind of wind up somewhere in the past. Where it is now entirely possible for us to get a new and separate timeline that is not riddled with 
terrible and stupid events like uh, those in the sequel trilogy or in the Aftermath book series. We, we could potentially get a whole rewrite of those tragic mistakes, though I highly doubt it would happen. But the possibility is real and it is tangible. Now, what am I not excited about? Well, one of the only things I'm not excited about that is possible for this season of The Mandalorian is the possibility of getting Ezra Bridger from the Rebels in live action. Um, now, we see Din and Grogu are in hyperspace, and Grogu's kind of looking around, and we see Purgles, the space whale species that takes Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn away into the depths of hyperspace to some unknown destination. I absolutely hated that Thrawn got beaten by some space whales at the end of Rebels. It, it, it's one of the things that makes me absolutely despise that show because it means that our heroes didn't really have to do anything. They just had to call up some space whale buddies and wait. That's it. There's no fight. There's no sacrifice. There's no danger. It's just MacGuffin. It's just let me call in this thing that wins every time. How cheap and plot armor heavy is that? It's so stupid. And the rumor that Ezra is going to be played by the guy from the live-action Aladdin movie, uh, I think his name is Mena Masood, that bland actor who made Aladdin boring? I am really dreading him showing up in this season somewhere. Keep that crap out of content that would otherwise be amazing and actually fun and original. We do not need rehashed bland characters that hardly worked in the show that they came from and they carry no fan base whatsoever. I mean, just like the Bad Batch, I think it could potentially tank the show. This unnecessary and unwanted element rather than just give us some badass adventures and cool characters. Now, on a good note, <laughs> because I, I do like to end with some good notes, it's worthy to note that in a recent interview, Jon Favreau did state that as far as The Mandalorian goes as, as a whole... Um, the future of the show and seasons and all of that season four has already been written and we are not even halfway done with the story that the Mandalorian will give us. Now, this was received with much joy by myself and millions of others. So hopefully we continue to get bigger and cooler original content every year or so with the Mandalorian. But that is all I had for today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and stick around for more Sci-Fi Unchained. But for now, live long and prosper, my friends. And may the Force be with us all. <laughs>